Welcome to Stories of Expansion, created by Gosha Gona and me, Wun Tan. This podcast shares inspiring expansion stories. We speak to amazing guests who have turned the biggest challenges and fears into blessings for themselves and others. We will be exploring how they've overcome their personal and business challenges to create a bigger impact and make a difference in the world. We will learn how they have survived and blossomed in times of challenge. We believe that the world needs us more than ever before. It is time to stop procrastinating and playing small. Let's show up more fully and achieve what we're here to do together. So today we have something amazing for you, uh, an interview with Carl Smith who is a hypnotherapy master and he's overcome his own um, trauma, which you will hear all about it. But I'm interested, uh, Won, what did you think about this interview? It's fascinating. I mean, uh, we met Carl at the same time just over a week ago. And to me, the, the, the thing that really strikes me is that when you meet him, you wouldn't sort of imagine he's gone through that experience that he's gone through and he came out of a very an extremely difficult time in his life from suicide and drugs to be able to help lots of people in using this hypnosis and hypnotherapy approach that is very efficient very quick and it's really inspiring to people because um, it means that you can really get out of difficult situations quickly without going through digging down into the background of your story and with one or two sessions you can get out of your trauma what about yourself what do you think uh, what did you learn out of conversation with Carl yeah I, I basically felt very strongly that um, you need to look in the right place for help okay because sometimes people go to therapy for 10 years 20 years and they still not not feeling quite right and here we have an example of someone who is suicidal for whom there was no hope in life okay and someone helped him in two sessions so i think when we are in trouble and this may not be mental trouble or emotional trouble it could be technical trouble we need to go and find the best play- person for it so that's the number one thing that i got out of it the things can be quite quick right uh, in terms of helping but the other thing is that i got out is that often we think that it's the end of the world when something happens to us a breakdown or uh, loss of a business or loss of a person a relationship, but it could be the best moment of our life. So the question that I am left with, what if the best, the worst day of your life could be the best day of your life? So always when you're in trouble, ask yourself, what if this could be the beginning of something amazing? I like that. I like that um, that takeaway. I think the other thing that I found quite fascinating, which I wasn't expecting was how he shared um, things that I, I wasn't expecting him to share around, you know, how, you know, given we are now in this coronavirus period, like what, what, what he sort of suggested around taking care of your health, not just your physical health, like not just your mental health, but your physical health. And I think if you listen to the end of the episode, you, you'll find some very insightful and practical solutions that he's recommending. 
Yeah, absolutely. So guys, if you have experienced trauma in your life or some really dark places, look in the right areas for help. Remember, it can be done quite quickly. Um, If you ask the right person for help, and remember also that the darkest moments in your life could become the best moments if you use them correctly. And hope you enjoyed the episode. It is my great pleasure and delight to introduce you to a very special man, Carl Smith, who I have met only over a week ago. And uh, not only he impressed me uh, with the passion for what he does, but his story that actually made me sit there and listen to what happened to him with my mouth open. And um, Carl has got incredible knowledge and wisdom about how to help people who suffered uh, trauma because he suffered profound trauma himself. So Carl, my love, please tell us, um, what do you do now before we go into your story? I'm uh, I'm now the uh, lead trainer for the UK Hypnosis Academy. Um, and I teach hypnosis and hypnotherapy techniques around the world. And I've also got my own private practice as well that I, I see people with. And I hear that you worked or you have worked with uh, police. Uh, you have worked with um, celebrities in Hollywood. You've been flown around the world. And, yeah. and wh- why do they actually... Uh, hire you for those big important jobs there's so many hypnotherapists in LA you know in in Hollywood and what why do they actually ask you to come so obviously I won't be I can't digress names because of NDAs and stuff like that but the long the long story short is is that um I um I'm quite confident in in the way that I work uh, I work in a way which is called content free And it's a way that I've developed the way of schema work that I work with hypnosis that I don't have to ask the client um, their um, background. And I worked with a celebrity once in um, Las Vegas. I was working over in Las Vegas doing some work in Las Vegas. And I bumped into a celebrity and I worked with him. And um, yeah, and it just worked. It it was from a famous pop band and uh, and it just spiraled from there. He introduced me to his friends and then his friends then introduced me to their friends. And it just grew and grew and grew. And that's how it happened. Um, Obviously, I'm under NDAs with certain people. But, you know, most of the people from the 80s, the 90s, pop bands, actors and stuff like that, I get to work with producers work with uh, people from the, the Star Wars movies and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, it's from from uh, you know humble beginnings in a coffee shop in Essex in England to to working around <laughs> the globe really so it's worked out quite well but I think what what it is is that they like my direct approach I'm not fluffy um, I come from a background that isn't fluffy um, that doesn't mean that I don't accept or appreciate fluffiness but my clients don't want that they want directness and I'll be brutally honest and you know me goes here I will drop drop an F-bomb in and I will swear at them and I will, and they <laughs> like, people do like that in some sadistic way. <laughs> they do like it. But the thing is, is that I'm very direct and I'm very yes. open with them. I'm very honest with them. You know, if they don't want to pull the finger out, I'll put my foot up the backsides and that's my job. My job is a hypnotist and a coach to motivate people and that's exactly what they love. And especially some of the, the, the big players, some of the, you know, I mean, we're all just humans, but some of the people that have been engrossed in Hollywood for a long time do, do enjoy a good 
slate innovate uh, sometimes which is- <laughs> and i think what also makes you successful car uh, is your sense of humor because when we've met uh, we spent three days together and you know the, the thing that is very delightful about you is that you're direct and serious and really good at what you do but also you have the sense of lightness and playfulness about you that doesn't make what you do that that such a big deal and and you work on daily basis with with trauma don't you yes absolutely yeah i think i think um and we'll go into the story in a moment but i think being you know in the military and being in the police for so long it's allowed me to be a people person so i've been able to watch and judge and 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 some people call it rapport get build it quite quickly and then work with people quite quickly as well and you know and I think you've got to be light-hearted about this stuff I come from a place of where I was in trauma that I had trauma that I really wanted to end it I really wanted to finish it all and um, and then all of a sudden I was handed a you know a gift and then I've taken it on and and I think you know when you've been at that point in your life and you realize what is going on you know and the, the mundane things in life that you can take it a little bit easier I think my threshold for the crap is a little bit higher than most. So I, I just enjoy life, you know, you know, yeah, that's, that's the thing every day, you know, life's not a rehearsal. So at the end of the day, I just get on with it and just enjoy it. So <clears throat> how long have you been um, a policeman before that spe- special day that changed your life forever? I've been, in, so I've done 12 years in the British army and then I've been to all the places that your um, um, holiday representatives definitely won't send you to. I've been to all, you know, where your holiday, your travel agents <laughs> definitely won't send you to the beaches I've been to. And um, and uh, yeah, I did 12 years. Then I got out and then joined the police. And I'd been in a couple of years by that time, but, uh, by the time that my incident happened. So yeah, so I'd, I'd already served a couple of years. But then I served 12 years. I carried on in the police and, and stayed on for 12 years until I eventually decided to go full time in this profession. Okay, so tell us what happened all those years ago. <laughs> the, the worst day of your life that turned to be the best. So. Um, I just finished work. I was a firearms officer within the police. Um, I just finished work, and uh, I'd got home, um, went indoors, and uh, I did something that I don't normally do. If, if, if I'm on duty the next day or I was on guns the next day, I would never have a drink. It was just one of those things. You just didn't drink the night before. It was just one of those things. And uh, so I went in. I did had a couple of days off, and it was a lovely summer's day. It was August the fourth, and uh, I walked in the door, popped open the fridge. Bang, there was a lovely can of lager there. And I thought, well, quite a normal night, really. I'll just uh, sit here and drink my um, Cronenberg. And it was a Cronenberg. And I sat there just drinking that. And then all of a sudden, there was a mighty crash out the front, a huge, huge like explosion and noise out the front. Um, but it sounded like an explosion. It wasn't an explosion. Anyway, I run outside. Uh, there was a Mitsubishi Colt, um, a car that was up through a, our wall and through our next door neighbor's wall and anyway i run outside and i thought with the demographics of where i, I lived uh, i live in in rural suffolk on the on the east coast of england um i thought uh, i thought it was an elderly person that had lost control of a car so i run around the back of the car run around to the driver's seat and i was then um surprised to see a young pup in there who was only 19 years old and when I reached in the car, I could smell booze on him. I could smell alcohol on him. I could smell that he'd been intoxicated. And um, the long story short is I put my hand through the seatbelt, wrapped my hand around the seatbelt. I still to this day don't know why I wrapped my hand around the seatbelt, but I put my hand around the seatbelt. So it was wrapped around my hand. And then I literally just started punching him to get him out of the car because the wheels were still spinning. And um, in, in, the, in the fight, the brick wall collapsed. My hand was still attached to the car. And he dragged me down the road underneath the car 
for approximately, they reckon between 18 and 100 yards. They know that because they found my clothes all the way back there because it stripped me off most of my clothes. And then what happened was as I popped down, he carried on reversing, realized he couldn't get out and then stuck it back into drive. It was an automatic car. And what had happened was is that he then just drove at me again, hit me again and dragged me all the way down the road. But the, the only good thing that he did that night was take me back home. So, <laughs> That's what we were laughing at. Yeah. With this strategy, he dropped you off outside the <laughs> house. He had the common decency to take me back home. That was the key thing. So, I, you know, anyone who's, you know, I mean, it was quite serious. Damage to my legs, damage to my hips, damage to my lower back, upper back, my forearms were done, um, fractures all over the place, really. So I was in a bad way. Um, and he just left me there. So the ambulance crews turned up. I was right outside my house. My son was there, my eldest boy. Oh, my God. And, um, he, he, he was just, I can remember, but I can't remember much of it, but I can remember um, can remember him looking at me. And I, I still still see his face to this day. It doesn't traumatise me, but it does remind me of that day. And that's why, you know, I'm so blessed that they're all healthy, my children. But on the same token, um yeah, uh, and then the ambulance turned up, and then the next, and then the then what happened was is that I was, you know, patched up, repaired as much as they could, and as soon as I left hospital, went home, and sat on a couch and became what we now call a social drug addict, really, which was tramadol. And um, I sat on tramadol for months. And, and anyone who, who knows anything about tramadol, tramadol is an addictive um, uh, uh, drug that's given for pain relief. But also, what it does do is it sends you into la la land. And um, I was finding that what was happening was is I'd become addicted to tramadol. So I was just eating tramadol nonstop. I was just eating it just to, just to keep the pain away. Um, the doctors then realized that I'd become a little, after a couple of months of me just sitting there saying, I need more, I need more, I need more. They realized, obviously, that I'd become a little bit of a, a little bit um, um, addicted to it. Mm. Um, and even as, you know, I hadn't gone back to the police force yet. I was still laid up. I still couldn't go back to work. And... Um, yeah, they um, yeah they started to taper me off of it, and we all agreed that there was something wrong. So they started to taper off, but that the physical pain was starting to go. But now the emotional pain that had been suppressed by the drugs was now going to come up and bite me in the backside. And and that's the point. That's where post trauma comes in because the physical part of my body was fixed or fixing. Like my Achilles tendon was ripped off. That was still being fixed. That was still. But it, it, I was workable. I was in swimming mm -hmm. pools trying to do stuff. But, um, but yeah, the emotional pain came up and that's the bit that really reared up, like reoccurring nightmares, you know, anxieties, you know, impending doom, all that type of stuff. And then because they weren't giving me enough tramadol, I just turned to Jack Daniels and tramadol, which, oh. and, and I didn't know anything about change work at that time, you know, and, and um, from my time in the military, one doesn't go to a therapist, one, one, yeah. one doesn't do that. You don't do that. You don't do that type of stuff. And that's what we were taught in the military. You don't, if you go, if you went to see a psychiatrist or you went to see a counselor, if you were in the army, you were treated differently. It was, the education was very, very poor when I was in, I'm sure most people that have ever served in the military will know that, that, you know, you didn't, it was called stuffing teddy bears because you were sent to, um, people that had mental health problems were sent to a hospital to go make teddy bears and blankets. That's exactly what used to happen. Wow. And it was such a, you don't do that. You know, it's not manly enough. I'm from alpha male jobs and, you know, you just don't do that. So um, for me, you know, I was, I was given um, counseling. I was given CBT and I'm really sorry for any psychotherapists out there, but they made it worse. They really did make it worse for me. Um, but why, why, why did they make it worse? Because uh, there's many people who are maybe doing CBT yeah. and, and listening to this podcast right now. In what way have they made it worse? 
I think because the issue is never the issue for starters. Um, when when you hear the cognitive word of somebody when they're telling you something, people that have ever been through therapy before, therapists that listen to this will appreciate this. And and it's it's nothing unnew. Is that when you're talking to a client and they're giving you their their excuses, their verbal excuses, they're not actually what the subconscious, unconscious monkey brain, the internal workings of your brain are actually doing. They're merely excuses. That's why we see people in therapy for so 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 long because they're chasing a lie. That's exactly what's coming out. And it's not because it's they're doing it on purpose. The subconscious, unconscious brain knows how to deal with it. It's just it, um, it doesn't know how to express it properly or tell us properly. So it, and that's why I use hypnosis because I get directly in within minutes rather than weeks or months. So I can hit it straight away. And that's why I, do, that's why I get to travel the world doing this stuff. So, um, but yeah, so that, that, and that's the reason why. So I did the cognitive. What, look, for, for instance, one of the questions that the therapist, one of the therapists asked me, and, that, and, and I said, I'm not doing this anymore, is that they said, tell me how it feels to be run over. And I just went, oh, did you and they went, yeah, tell me how it felt to be run over. And I went, I'm not answering that. That's such a stupid question. And like yeah. your reaction then is exactly yeah. this, what, like shock. And it was like, I'm not going to go, oh, so you've got anger. No, I haven't got anger. I've got anger about the way that you just said that. You want me to relive that pain? Yeah. Through yeah. that. And uh, anyway, I, I started getting really, it got really nasty. I told the counsellor to go go do one. I, you know, I wasn't going to swear then, but I'm not going to do one. But anyway, I told him to go away. And uh, yeah, and, and that was it. So that was one of my reasons behind it. And I'm not, I'm sure that there's many therapists out there that are probably listening going, Oh my God, I'd never say that. Yeah. You, well, you're absolutely right. But it, it was the thing that made me say, I'm not doing that again until one day, a guy um, who was a police officer, um, somebody had said, Carl's in a bad way. And he's, he's not, you know, he's just not responding to anything uh, typical thing. And, and they said, well, and they sent, they sent him over and uh, he said, oh, I'm a hypnotist. And well, I'm from a place called Great Yarmouth in, in, um, in Norfolk. Uh, on the east coast of England, and um, it's a holiday resort. And the only thing that I could register about um, hypnosis was the local stage hypnotist we used to have called Ken Webster, who's up in Blackpool now. Mm. And um, he was a stage hypnotist, and I'd seen him many, many times as a kid. I'd gone to see him, see his show because I thought it, was, thought it was funny, but I never believed in it. So that was my only education on it. And then he, this, this guy, this police officer, showed me hypnosis, and in one hour, he was able to change so, so much. And I mean, like real substantial stuff. I mean, pulling, there was stuff that was coming out that I hadn't seen since I was a little boy, all the way through my military career, the things that I'd seen, the people I'd lost, all of the, the stuff that had happened. And I'll come on to the trauma in a moment about post-trauma. But then all of that cleared out. And about, about a week after that, the, the naughty noises had gone, you know, and I hadn't had to tell him anything. He just yes. said, sit there and he said, sit there and go through this process with me. And I went through the process and then he said, you know, let go of this and let go of that and let go of this, but allowed my subconscious, unconscious monkey brain to let go without interference of talking. It allowed my subconscious, unconscious to have a clear pathway to go in vision, in thoughts in images, you know, in many different ways and kinesthetic feelings as well. And that's why it works. And that's why. Uh, you know, the worst day of my life became the best day of my life because it opened up a cavern that was never, ever going to stop. I mean, most people who know me know if you cut me in half, there'd be a swinging pocket watch inside me. You know, it's just I live, breathe, eat hypnosis because it saved my life. Uh, because like you alluded to at the, at the beginning, while I was on the Jack Daniels and the Tramadol, I thought I was a failure to my family and there was no way out of this. I didn't think that there was a way out of this. So I took myself off to the Orwell Bridge 
leaned over the parapet and tried getting over my jacket got caught and then and i couldn't get over the parapet because i got caught up and i was gonna you know anyone who's seen the world bridge is a good two three hundred foot drop and uh, in Ipswich, and the next minute, two hands came over the top, and it was two police officers grabbing me, pulling me back. So your I, your I, friends, your friends from yeah, from yeah, who knew me. It was people who knew me as well. When they pulled me over, they didn't realise who it was, and then all of a sudden, sat there, and one of them just looked at me and went, "He just said fuck." I swore he went, "Carl, it's Carl." Anyway, he just went. They just sat there, just all and. And did they ask you, Carl? Did they ask you why why you wanted to jump off? Did they? Well, they... We, one of them knew. One of them. One of them knew that I was in a bad way, so he knew why. But he said it, this this wasn't the Carl I knew. So that and that's what led to another police officer stepping in and uh, who knew hypnosis to help me out. Ah. Was, that's how that, how that triggered it <clears throat> because they realised that um, I hadn't even left a note. I hadn't left anything. I went to go do it to do it, and that was it. You know, I didn't didn't like text people and say, oh, I'm not going to go do this. And they're going to leave a note and all that. Lot. I just had it in my head. That's it. We're going to go do it. That's how far down the pan I've gone. And that's when they realized that the, the police officer stepped in and just said, um, you know, we need to do something. here." So that's why they offered that service. So, yeah, wow. that's, my, that's my story. So, yeah. So, you know, and, and, and now, and like I said a moment ago, is, is that is that now hypnosis and hypnotherapy in my life. I don't do anything else except hypnosis and hypnotherapy. And I left the police force. Um, <clears throat> I've been out of the police force now about three years, when, four years, four years now. And um, yeah, so I've been out four years now. It's 2020 now. And, uh, and I, since then, I've traveled in 30, I've traveled over 30 countries and taught in 30 countries, taught thousands of people, uh, worked on TV, worked with celebrities, worked in Hollywood. I worked. Mel, I've worked, you know, I've worked all over the globe doing this, and I've actually been there, not via Skype like some people. And it's, you know, I've actually been there and taught. So I've worked with some of the biggest police forces. I've worked with um, being an ex uh, counterterrorism firearms officer. It allows me to be involved in um, certain areas that other therapists can't get into. So I've got that. I work on that. Um, so I've worked in every single police force in the United Kingdom, helping them out with their mental health training. Uh, in a previous life with a charity. I've worked with ambulance service, fire service, LAPD, Las Vegas police. Um, I've done some work with Australian police forces. I've done some work with Hong Kong police forces. Um, yeah, so that, that's my background, you know, so that's me. So This is really impressive, Carl. So would you say that for people who are listening to this and they have had experience, maybe a trauma themselves, would you say that hypnosis is the fastest, the best, um way to to release to release the trauma yeah without a shadow of a doubt without and that's not me just being by i mean people come to me from all over i have i have people I've, I've had people flying from vancouver to england to come see me for my trauma training and my trauma training and my trauma uh, release thing that i do as well you know but it's down to personalities there's not i'm not saying that counseling is wrong because counseling has a place there are some great cbts out there there's no dispute in it can i get faster effects because of my personality and my background and my story absolutely because I come from a place that they can resonate with and that's part of what I do I talk about my story and I tell them about it and then what I do then is I use it as though I was once where you were and you could do this as well it's not about me going oh I can feel your pain I'm not doing any of that rubbish what I'm doing is I'm yeah. sitting there just going you know I've been there and, and if you do this, this, and this, you can do. And I found that hypnosis with a direct line of communication to the subconscious, unconscious monkey brain, you can go directly straight to the source with content-free hypnosis. That means, and this may shock some of the therapists out there, 
When my client walks in, I'm only looking for contraindications on whether they're bipolar, schizophrenic, severe drug users, drinkers, and, and other contraindications that could allow, make me think that this could be worse if I intervene. If none of those are flashed up in my head, like, you know, lithium-based drugs and stuff like that, if none of those things are flashed up, I don't even ask them. I will not even ask my client what they think it is because what they're going to verbally tell me and cognitively tell me are different to what the subconscious, unconscious, the, the, the actual reason is because we don't have the verbiage and the wordage to express it. And that's why you see people in therapy for months and years when most of the people that come to see me after the process I've done within, within one month and me only seeing them maybe once or twice, they're back on the road to recovery and looking for their new journey. And that's exactly what my job is. Um, and I, I'm not sitting there saying, I, I'm just saying that my story and my, the way that I deliver it is the way that my clients resonate with. And it comes back to your first question, why do they want me? Because I'm very, very direct. I'm very much um, quick in the way that I work. And people love that. In today's society, people love that. They love that quick, fast um, idea. And look, it's not saying that it's not to just, dispute that change doesn't always happen quickly but if you can start the process and allow it to happen then then that's when the change work happens you know it may take it may take a couple of months for them to really really embed down it may take them a couple of years to really focus on where they are after my sessions but the results are there my results are there to be seen you know and that's what it is um and and i just have a it's a unique way therapists tend to get themselves in a way of, well, I was taught this at the school and I was taught this at the school and I was taught this at the school. There isn't, whereas me, I'm like, I am me and I will act like me. I've been taught, but I've just broken that shell and said, no, I'm not going to be like that because my clients don't want that. They want somebody that's direct, authoritative, and they just want somebody to get the naughty noise done now. And that's where my confidence comes from. You know, I'm seeing thousands of people now, so... Um, Carl, this is really impressive, and obviously, I want to learn from you, which we which we're going to do, and all of that finishes the drama of coronavirus. But I want to ask you about coronavirus now. So, so Carl, here's the question: Do you think that this whole coronavirus is actually traumatizing people, or it does have power to leave people traumatized? I think it is. I think I think when you look at it, I think when you look at the you know, the, the mass hypnosis on the television at the present moment in time called, you know, called the news and, and all the stuff that's being pumped out. There's, there's no two ways about this. This is a, a dangerous thing. And, you know, for me, I, you know, I look at my, I, I eat healthy. I, I, I go out and walk the dog and I keep myself active and I'm doing things. And I have the mindset of being able to say, I'm fine. So I can, I can keep the mindset, a powerful mindset of, of positivity going all the time. Whereas some people aren't as skilled, and I don't mean that's not derogatory, it's because they, they're, not, they're not educated. Like I wasn't before, before I went for counseling and CBT and about hypnosis, I wasn't educated about those things. So it's about, I can keep that mindset. I'm, you know, I'm very powerful at doing it. But the Joe Public, I think that there's so much trauma happening at the moment. Because don't forget, let's talk about trauma now. Trauma and post-trauma are accumulated stress factors. So post-traumatic stress disorder is an accumulation of stress. It's not about one incident. A traumatic experience is one experience. Post-traumatic stress disorder 
is accumulation of traumatic experiences. So they can happen from when you're a young child all the way up to today. So for me, if you imagine your body and your, your stress indicator being like a big pressure cooker, at the very bottom of the pressure cooker is manageable stress. And that is where the fight, flight, freeze system sits. You fight verbally or physically, flight, you run away or freeze. And I'm sure some of your listeners now will probably experience, what am I going through at the moment? Am I fighting something verbally or physically? Am I flighting? Am I running away from it? Or am I freezing and curling into a ball? Now, the fight, flight, freeze system sits there and it's always pumping away, keeping us alive. Is it going to hurt me? Is it going to kill me? Is it going to hurt me? Is it going to kill me? Right, so that's manageable stress. But then let's look at it as we grow older, you know, um, rough childhood, um, maybe parents split up, grandparents die, um, this happens at school, bullying, blah, blah, and it just keeps building and building and building. And if we don't release those, the pressure builds through the pressure cooker until eventually it goes, that is the point then is that when you've got post-trauma and this isn't a cheap plug but that's why i wrote a book called there is no d in ptsd the reason being is, is that i want to change the reframe the way that people feel about post-trauma post-trauma is merely accumulated stress factors that build up and build up and build up and build up and explode so look at my life i had quite a good upbringing i got a toe punt up the ass i'm still one of those people i'm only 46 years old so most people appreciate i used to get a boot up my backside for being a pain in the bum and i get that that's all right but then you have that growing up there's bullying at school because believe it or not i was the most timid lad in school really i was, I was timid i was never i up. can't believe that I, I couldn't even stand in front of the class and, and and read a passage out of a book i was that bad and um so I had the pressure of that and the pressure of my parents wanted me to, you know, you got all the pressures of life when you're a kid. Nobody's any different to me. You know, the pressures are like, do well, do well, do well, do well, do this. And then, then the pressures of just growing up. And then all of a sudden, I joined the military, went to all the war zones, did all of those, did the Iraq, the Kosovo's, did all the, the, um, the, the, um, the Bosnias, the Northern Islands. I did, I did all that lot anyway. I've done all, done all those. And, um, and then I joined the police. Then I went through lots of traumatic experiences there in, in helping people, unfortunately, helping people that have been, you know, unfortunately involved in serious uh, road collisions and stuff like that. Um, you know, so all of those things built up until eventually on August 4th, 2006, that drink driver turned up. And that was the catalyst. It only needs a catalyst to send the whole lot off. That's what it is. It only needs one thing to lift that valve at the top and it will not stop. It's like the, the heat of life gets turned up underneath your, underneath your, um, um, underneath the fight, fight, freeze, um, you know, pressure cooker, and it just will not stop. And it's not until you let go of all that pressure and allow that pressure to come down that it just does. And, you know, and that's where the pressure is. It just builds. And some, some people are listening to this and probably go, yeah, yeah, they've probably been in a situation before where they feel like, oh, I'm just going to explode in a minute. And, but that's your pressure cooker surging and then coming back down. When you've got post-trauma, that's when it goes, I'm just going to hurt somebody. I'm just going to do something now, but it won't go down. That's the point you've got to look at with post-trauma. Um, and, and, and it's the way that your subconscious, unconscious monkey brain sits there and says, no, I'm here to protect you. I want to protect you. I want to protect you. So what it does do is it says, don't do that again. Don't do that again. Don't do this again. And it's a way of doing it. And post-trauma, when you look at it as an accumulation of stress factors, do you look at it as, as accumulation of stress factors? Then you deal with what you do is, is once you start pulling away the bottom ones, the whole lot collapses. And that's where I get my results from. So Carl, um, here's the, 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 the question that I have for you. 
you have done so much for people. You've worked with thousands of people, thousands. Mm. And you have changed people's uh, pain and suffering and trauma into healing. And you've, you've sort of collected a lot of good karma for yourself. But what are your dreams for yourself? Like in 10 years' time, what, what would you say are your biggest, biggest dreams? Part, uh, what, apart from the big villa in Santa Monica? I mean, no, no. <laughs> I mean, um, uh, is I, I, I want to be able to educate as many people as possible that post-trauma is not for life. I want people to understand and be educated enough that post-trauma can be dealt with. And, and, and I think if I, can, if I can educate more people in, in what post-trauma really is and not the fear factor that comes with it, because it is horrid, you know, post-trauma itself is horrid, but people are left to believe that it has to be traumatic to get rid of it. And they're also led to believe that trauma is for life. Once your pressure cooker has been let down, my job is to, is to educate them that like, I still remember, I can still visually remember the car accident. But the key thing is, is that I can't feel the car accident. I can't smell the car accident. I can't feel the weight of the car anymore, if that makes sense. The trauma will always be part of my life but I can't feel it. And that's the difference. When you're going through a traumatic trauma or traumatic experience, you can feel it. That's your body going, setting off all the senses and saying, um, something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. My job is to educate people that it happened. All we're going to do is we're going to desensitize that and we're going to let that just fade away into the distance. And that's exactly the way that I work. I show people that they're not got to, to feel the weight of it, taste it or smell it in the future, that it'll just be part of their life. And like now, I talk about the car accident as though it was just like me going for a cup of tea, really, around somebody's house, because that's the way it is. And, and I think within four months of the accident, of the four months of the, um, the hypnosis session, I was talking like that. Oh, yeah, the accident. It was like a, a past thing, and I didn't have any reoccurring nightmares, didn't have anything like that. So my job, I would love to be able to, to, to set up training and, 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 and teach people and educate people more from a perspective of a person that's been through trauma, not somebody who's just read a book. And I think, you know, if I can get out to more thousands of people by educating them that way in the next 10 years and, and using it in my career, that, that'd be, that's me. I'm happy like that. I am educating people on a daily basis. That's what I love doing. I would like the condo in, in Santa Monica, though, if, if there is one available. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there is. <laughs> okay. Um, and, Carl, my last question is, uh, for all those people who are right now challenged and traumatized by all the things that are going on in the world, what advice would you have for them? Have faith. Have faith. It will go. You can, you can get rid of trauma. You can. There's things out there. There's self-help. And I know some people are like, yeah, you shouldn't do this. Look, I believe in self-help, but you always need a third person to intervene to get you over the final part. There's no two ways about that. There's things like um, that you can go have a look at, and especially in today's world, go have a look at a thing called uh, EFT, Emotional Freedom Techniques. Go have a look at TFT, Thought Field Therapy. Another good one for, for trauma as well, which you can learn online, is called Havening. Uh, by Ron, Ron and Steve Rudin, really good good way of doing things. Um, but there are there are many things. When, when I'm talking to people about like meditation and stuff like that, that's all well and good, but it will never get meditation. I find will, will is only superficial. Is only superficial. It will give you peace and calm and tranquility when you're doing it. But I'm yet to. And if anyone here has, please, please, please let me know. But I've never known anyone to to get rid of trauma by just meditating. 
um, because there's always a component part in that brain that's always going to be firing off. And you can find peace, but it's when you're hit with something, that's when the trauma comes back, when, when the pressure cooker fires off again. Um, have belief that if you, are, if you are considering doing something silly to yourself, um, that you can change. If you are going through a traumatic period at the moment, know that your pressure cooker can be relieved you know, by simply going out for a walk, by doing something that you enjoy doing, doing something you've not done. Me at the moment, I've just, you know, for me to keep my little head occupied, because obviously I'm like going all day long, I've just picked up a guitar, bought a guitar a few weeks ago, and I've just started learning to play that. I'm just trying to keep myself active, keep my brain active, keep my physiological, keep walking and doing stuff. My mental health, by learning the guitar, is making me learn consistently and do different things. I'm having to do things. My fingers are red raw. Anyone who's ever started playing the guitar before realized that my fingers are bloody red raw at the moment. But I'm learning. I'm doing that every day. I'm on the guitar. I'm learning. Um, so I'm keeping my brain active. Do something that will keep your brain active. Physiological. Get out there and move your body. The cortisols and the stress in your body needs to be relieved. And the best way of relieving it is by movement. By moving, it will dissipate the negative energy. Move. Even if you go for a walk, even if you go get somebody else's dog and walk their dog, don't just take somebody from the local news agent, though. Don't just grab. Just find, <laughs> go get a dog. Go get somebody's dog who you know. Don't just go steal a dog. But just go take a dog. You know, just go take a dog for a walk. Go, go do something that's active. And, you know, at the time of where we're recording this is that that's, hard but even still if you go walk around a field or you go you just go get an exercise bike out that you've been threatening for years that's been hidden away in the garage something like that that will keep you moving and the other thing as well is watch your food remember you are what you eat and i know that's an old an old cliche that's an old thing you're saying but even still you are if your gut floor is out because i believe in three brains your gut your heart and then the gray matter that gets in the way upstairs keep think and eat healthy that's the only thing I'm going to say on that, because if your gut's out, the rest of you out. If you imagine your gut being the Amazon forest, if we, if we as human race lost the Amazon forest, we'd all be up shit screen. If you lose the gut flora in your body, that's like your Amazon forest. If your Amazon forest, your gut flora, your, your, the way that you eat is out, the rest of you will be out of sync as well. And that's something that you have to consider, that even if you want to binge on Coke and sugars and stuff like that, it's your body it's your body screaming for energy and it doesn't want Coke. It doesn't want crisps. It doesn't want Mars bars. It exactly. wants healthy, nutritious things. Think about your, what you're putting into your body. So mental health stimulation, physiological, get out there and move. Even if you're, even if you're saying, no, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to get out of bed, get out of bed and do it. And the other thing as well is that is, is your gut. Make sure that you're eating the right things. I mean, I've been, uh, what, what this now I'm 10 weeks into being weak gluten and dairy free and I'll tell you now I've never felt so healthy to be quite honest mm. and and you know I didn't realize I was wheat and, and uh, gluten intolerant until about 10 weeks ago and you know I sit here preaching this stuff and I didn't even realize that I was weak but now I've done it I've lost about a stone and a half and in 10 weeks and and I haven't even really done a lot of exercise I'll be brutally honest not not massive amounts of exercise I go out and take the dog out I go for a walk but but, you know, just that change has helped me significantly as well. So, that's, yeah. That's, that's amazing. Carl, you are an inspiration. Uh, you are changing people's lives. It's been a great privilege and joy and, uh, and fun to talk to you today. And, um, and how people can contact you if they want to learn from you. So if you go to UK Hypnosis Academy, so that's www.ukhypnosisacademy.com dot com or dot co uk doesn't really matter 
uh, and then go on there and my details are on there and you're more than welcome to contact me there's a little green box in the bottom of the website it's like a leave message you can always leave me a message that way and uh, and then do it that way or just call the telephone number on there and it goes at the moment it's redirected to my mobile actually but uh, there is no 800 number on there and if anyone would like to talk to me about stuff you're more than welcome to but um, yeah, UK Hypnosis Academy and uh, yeah, training or even just one-to-ones with people. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We would love to hear from you. Please share with us what you found useful and inspiring about this episode. If you know somebody who is making a big difference in the world and we should interview them, let us know. Please drop us an email at storiesofexpansion at gmail.com and we'll see you in the next episode.